welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. You'd like to find your um, place in your Bibles there in Ephesians chapter 1. This morning we're looking at um, verses 11 to 14. And so we come to a uh, to the end of this long sentence uh, in this chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, really as you work through that passage, you're left with this feeling of being overwhelmed by uh, the grace of God and all His abundant blessings upon us. Uh, he has blessed us in Jesus Christ, as it's been emphasized through this passage, We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And he says that we have been chosen by the Father to one day stand in His presence holy and blameless. And that we were predestined to adoption as sons, redeemed through the blood of Christ, forgiven of our sins. And He has graced us with grace and given abundantly and wisdom and insight that we might know Him and know the mystery of His will that He's purposed in Christ for the administration or the dispensation of the fullness of time. And now in these last verses, He adds to this incredible list His plan for our inheritance. Let's uh, look again uh, at this, uh, these verses, verse 11 to 14. He says, in Him, speaking of Christ, in Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to Your Word, I pray that You would open our hearts and minds to not only understand, Lord, but to, um, uh, to obey Your Word and to allow You, through Your Spirit, to lead and guide us, to have the, the confidence that You intend for us to have, to have the boldness, uh, to have the peace in our hearts, regardless of the circumstances. All these things, Lord, we pray uh, for Your honor in your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. The first thing I want you to <clears throat> notice that he speaks of in these verses is, is the provision of our inheritance, which is in Christ. Uh, notice he begins verse 11 with in him. Uh, it's lit literally in whom, referring back to Christ that he's been, been speaking of. You remember in verse 9 and 10, we looked at the mystery of His will and that it is revealed in the administration or this, this time of dispensation, this administration of His will. 
which is the fullness of time. And that all things will be summed up under the headship and authority of Christ in that time. And so we live in that expectation of when that will take place, when we're with the Lord. And he, he now reminds us that because we are in Christ, in other words, we are united uh, through the new birth with Him, we have received an inheritance in Him. That's what he's talking about here in verse 11. And, th- and this inheritance that he's talking about is our future dwelling with Him in heaven. It is is so certain that it's spoken of as something that's already received in the past. Uh, we, we already have it, although we've not entered into it yet. That, that will only happen when we get to heaven. But it's it's certain, it's ours. It's a it's it's a little bit like um, if we could imagine uh, someone uh, that's up in the northwestern uh, United States or in America, up towards Canada maybe, in the western part where they, back in the mid to late uh, 1800s, had the, the gold rush. And uh, you can imagine someone, you know, going and uh, thinking they're going to they're gonna get rich by um, finding gold. And... Uh, Eventually, the news arrives to that uh, kind of remote part of the of the world that uh, diamonds have been found in South Africa, <laughs> and, and apparently they're just laying on the ground. You know, you can just go out and pick them up. At least that's the way CNN told it. You know, uh, so this person he decides he's going to make this long and difficult journey to South Africa. And so he eventually arrives, and uh, maybe he's up there in Pretoria or somewhere, and he's maybe bought a little plot of land, and he's looking for diamonds. Well, that's going about as good as his search for gold is going. (laughs) And eventually, after a long uh, search and journey, someone finds him and tells him that his relative had died, and he's now inherited a vast wealth, a vast fortune. And he must come back to uh, the U.S. He must, he must come back to the western uh, United States and the northwest there and claim his inheritance. Well, he, the inheritance is his, but he, he has to finish this journey, doesn't he, to, to, to receive it. To enter into it, and that, and that's the way it is with us. We're we're on a journey. We already have the inheritance because we're in Christ, but uh, we won't enter into it until we come to the end of our journey, so to speak, here on earth. Notice in verse eleven, this phrase: "We have obtained an inheritance." It's it's from one Greek word which in this passive form uh, can also be translated, we were made an inheritance. And you'll see that in a couple of the the translations that's available. 
So, so we've obtained an inheritance or we were made an inheritance. And with this translation of that we were made an inheritance, it puts the emphasis on the fact that we, we belong to God. That He has uh, purchased us or redeemed us with the blood of Christ. And that's certainly a, a biblical truth that's revealed. We, we belong to God and, and we become His purchased back unto Himself. Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 6 and verse 20, Paul says it this way, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So that's certainly, a, a, it's both um, theologically valid and also according to the, uh, the grammar, it certainly can be translated that way. But in this passage, you'll remember that the emphasis is on what we have received in Christ. And so it's usually translated, as you see here in, in the ESV, uh, and seen as our receiving an inheritance in Him, rather than us being the inheritance that, that God receives. And so that's, uh, that's normally how it's, how it's translated, and I believe that's uh, the focus of what, of what Paul is saying here in this in this passage and in this context, that that we have received an inheritance. Uh, Peter says it like this: "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead." to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept or reserved in heaven for you. Well, that's quite a, quite a statement, isn't it? That is, that is our inheritance. And you'll see the, the certainty of that, the imperishable, undefiled, unfading. It's kept by God in heaven for us. Paul will add to the certainty of our inheritance by saying that is part of God's purpose or His plan. And that's the second thing I want us to, to notice from this verse in verse 11, that in Him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. And we could ask, Paul, why are you talking about uh, this predestination and this, uh, this, this counsel and will of God again? He's, he's already made this point back in verses 4 and 5 about our election and our, our being predestined to adoption. And, and, and Paul, so why is Paul going back to this again and making this emphasis again on this fact? And I... Uh, I believe that one of the reasons he's doing that now at this time is because he's getting ready to introduce a point that the Jews and the Gentiles are are both part of God's plan. And they're being brought together uh, as part of God's plan. And he'll, he'll emphasize that uh, in greater detail in chapters 2 and 3. And we'll, we'll be getting there. But here he just... He just introduces it. And I believe that's 
why Paul is now introducing the fact that our adoption is predestined or it's it's predetermined according to his purpose or his plan. The, the ESV study Bible note says, the making those who believe in him heirs with Christ was not an ad hoc event. God planned it from all eternity. In other words, it wasn't something that just happened. Or it wasn't something that, you know, God saw what was happening and then he, had, then he just came up with the idea. You know, as, we, as we've seen through this passage, God from eternity past or before cre- the creation, he, he talks about our, our election being before the, the foundation of the world. And, and this predestination, he first talks about adoption and now he's talking about inheritance. Is something that God has predetermined. And so it is certain. It's, it's not something that we have to, to worry about or wonder if it's really going to happen. Notice he says that God works all things according to the counsel of His will in that verse 11. There's three words there we want to, want to just note. First of all, the word works. Energeo. You can hear in that Greek word, word energy. It's, it's the working of God. It's the active working of God to bring about His purpose or His plan. Uh, aren't you glad, by the way, that God's working? <laughs> that He's not just leaving it up to chance or leaving it up to us to get to heaven, <laughs> to, to enter into inheritance. No, it's, it's happening according to His working. He's working in all things for His purpose. He, he uses the word counsel. It's, it's the Greek word boule. And, and, it, and, and, and counsel is a good, a good word for us to think about because it's a determination. You can think of the, you can think of the triunity of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit counsel together and coming up with a plan. It's the counsel of God. This boule is a, is a strong word as it relates to God's will. It's, it indicates a, a fixed intention. Uh, in, other, in other words, it's, it's not subject to change. This, this word deals with the, a purpose that is utterly fixed. It cannot be changed by the action of others. He uses another word here translated will, the thelema. And this is a a different concept of God's will. This is idea of desire. You could even say a heart's desire. And so this this aspect of of God's will is something that... uh, it's not as it's not as de, it's not determined and fixed like the boule or the counsel uh, that he used or referred to. Uh, Vine in his expository dictionary <clears throat> says, "Man is able to resist the will, the the lima of God, but whatever takes place, God's determinate counsel, his bulima, 
is never prevented from fulfillment. And, and so you'll see in the, in the scripture references to God's will sometimes. And uh, you realize that it doesn't come about. Man can um, disobey God's will. They can resist God's will. They can go their own way. While God desires for them something, it doesn't come about. But then you also see, like we've seen in this passage, God's will or His counsel, His determinate will that will happen regardless of men, regardless of the devil, regardless of the world and what, where the world's going. God is at work. His power is accomplishing His purposes. And so we see both, both of these ideas here together. Uh, Phillips writes, and here is the staggering thing, that in all which will one day belong to Christ, we have been promised a share since we were long ago destined for this by the one who achieves his purpose by his sovereign will. Well, that's a lot to think about this morning, isn't it? But it should give us confidence. It should give us assurance that if we are in Christ, in other words, if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ by faith, uh, trusting in Him as our Savior, we can be confident in the plan of God for us, His inheritance to be with Him. There's, a, there's another truth here that Paul emphasizes uh, which I mentioned already, and that is his plan that the Jews and Gentiles would share alike. And we see it in these verses 12 and 13. Um, and this is something that, that he will uh, deal with until, but at, at this point, he, he just states that... Uh, that they've come from different places, these Jews and Gentiles, and that they're both now inherit, sharing this inheritance. And that's the point that he, he introduces. Notice how he does it. In verse 12, he says, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. And then in verse 13, he says, in Him you also so he's making a distinction here between two groups. And there's not 100% agreement about who these two groups are, the, the we and the you, but most agree that the we is the Jews, Paul being a Jew, and they were the first to, to hope in Christ or to believe in Christ. And the you, he's writing to predominantly Gentiles, uh, Gentile believers. And so that... He's making this distinction here. And as you think about the Jews, for them, go all the way back into the Old Testament, heritage was a big thing. I, I didn't real, really hadn't really thought about it until I began looking at this, but the concept of heritage or inheritance. Uh, the, the word inheritance was used 230 times in the Old Testament. And so... <laughs> That was a, it was a big thing uh, for them because it was God's promise 
And this idea of inheritance was usually related to the physical land inheritance that they were promised. But beyond the physical promise was this eternal expectation. Uh, We see it in Hebrews chapter 11, referring to Abraham. And you remember remember the story about Abraham, how God called him and, and brought him to this land of promise. Verse 8 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. And so you see this emphasis here on the the inheritance that they'd been promised. And yet Abraham and uh, and Jacob and, and Isaac and this immediate descendants of Abraham, they never inherited the, the land. They didn't receive it. They were pilgrims and strangers. They were wandering around in this land. And notice verse 10 says, they were looking forward to this city. This this city beyond the end of the journey. (laughs) They were journeying to a future city whose designer and builder is God. He he comes on down in, in verse 16 and says, As it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. This is the the expectation of the Jews. Those that were faithful. They had this expectation of 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 an anointed one, a Messiah. And, and they had hope in that. And as we look at uh, back at our, our verse, he says there, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. See, the Jews were the fo- first to hope in Christ. And, and in the text here, there's an article with Christ in, in, the, in the Greek. The, the Christ. And, and so he's, He's focusing on this, uh, the expectation the Jews had of the Messiah. And Paul and the other Jews, many others, were the first to accept Jesus as their Messiah. And so why does Paul emphasize that? He says, so that they might be to the praise of His glory. Praise of His glory. And the Gentiles, he says in verse 13, in Him you also. Well, although the the Gentiles didn't have this heritage, they didn't have this expectation and hope in the Messiah like the Jews did, but Paul is is introducing this emphasis that he's going to make that they were not to be thought of as any less important in God's plan. And that they were also to the praise 
of the glory of God, which is, uh, he will make the point again at the end of verse 14. He says, verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Notice the, uh, notice the order there. You heard the word of truth. And if, and if we're saved this morning, it's because we heard the truth. We read it, or someone read it to us, or someone quoted the truth, the Scripture to us. We heard the truth. And, uh, and he says, and believed in Him. We put our faith and trust in Christ. And having done so, we received or we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And we know that um, Paul will also say in Romans 8 that if we don't have the, the Spirit of God, we don't belong to Him. We're not sons at all. And so this is something that every believer has received. The, the promised Holy Spirit. Uh, John MacArthur makes an makes a, a interesting point here about the, this verse. He says, faith is man's response to God. I'm sorry. Faith is man's response to God's elective purpose. God's choice of men is election. Men's choice of God is faith. In election, God gives His promise, and by faith, men receive them. And so we have here this emphasis on how the Gentiles came to faith. And by the way, it's how we all come to faith. It's through faith. Through faith, not just in faith, not just in a, I hope so, kind of, you know, I believe, but in a definite truth, doctrine that's revealed in Scripture about who Jesus Christ is and what He has done for us. And it's not just an intellectual faith. Yeah, I understand that and I can, yeah, I believe that. But it is a, a faith that is joined with repentance. In other words, you've come to the conviction that yes, I am lost in my sins and I need a Savior and I believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior and that by His death on the cross in my place, I can be forgiven. And I, I trust in Him. I commit my, myself to Him as my Savior, my Lord. That is, that is the saving faith that he's referring to here. Having heard the gospel of Christ, they believed. And having believed, they received the Holy Spirit. And that brings us to the, the third thing that we see here. And that is the promise of our inheritance sealed by the Holy Spirit. In that day, seals were to indicate several things like security. Or ownership, you put a you put a seal on a document or something. It, it it guaranteed the genuineness of that document. Uh, it protected it from uh, being opened by someone that wasn't supposed to see it, or uh, you knew that it was secure. Uh, 
the reception of the Holy Spirit is like God's mark or seal on those who are in Christ. Notice that the Holy Spirit is called the promised Holy Spirit. Jesus had promised to the disciples, you remember, that they would receive the Spirit after Jesus went away. Uh, in John 14, you'll remember, verse 16 and 17, he says, uh, there, when he's in the upper room with them, you remember, and he says, and I will ask the Father and He will give you the, another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. Referring to the Holy Spirit here as the helper that would come. And he says, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And so he's, he's preparing the disciples for this time when the Spirit of God would come. And he, he makes this promise different times. And you remember in Acts 2. And the Spirit of God came and uh, upon the believers. And we're taught that there's a distinction here between what took place before the cross and the Spirit's ministry and what took place after. The coming of the Holy Spirit after the, after the cross, the beginning of the, the church in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit would now come to be in us to permanently dwell in us as an abiding presence. And so it wasn't just the disciples or even the Jews who received this, this promised Spirit, but, but also all who believe in Christ. And he's making that emphasis as he's making the distinction between the Jews and the Gentiles because there's no doubt still some Jews who think that they're still the ones. <laughs> uh, and you remember going all the way back to Acts that uh, Peter is, God used Peter to make this distinction um, that when these, when these Gentiles believed in Christ, that God sent the Spirit also upon them, upon them in this dramatic visual way that he had also done with the Jews to, to make this point that they were all one in Christ. Paul continues uh, with another analogy here in verse 14. He says, the Holy Spirit is a down payment or a guarantee of our inheritance. A guarantee. The word there is, speak, is literally speaking of a payment, a first payment. It's, it's like when, um, like today when we want to secure something that we're, we're going to buy. We, make a, we can make a down payment to guarantee and to promise that the, the full payment is good. We used to have what was called a, a layaway. I don't know if there is such a thing anymore. And especially in America, we had this layaway where you could go and make a payment uh, and secure that thing you wanted to buy, but they kept it. You didn't take it home with you. They kept it until you had the full payment and then you went and brought your item home. That, that's much better than the debt plan that we have today, isn't it? Because today we can get what we want today and pay for it several times over, you know, the next year or whatever. And uh, 
this layaway plan is a, you have to make a, make, a, make a down payment. There's a certain amount that you had to pay to secure the remainder would come. And he says the Holy Spirit is like that. It's like a down payment that guarantees our inheritance. Uh, we, we see this, this word, as you go back into the use of this Greek word, it was also used in an engagement ring. Uh, in a wedding, to to show the promise is sure. <clears throat> uh, well, unfortunately, man's promises are many times not worth very much. Uh, in business, promises and commit commitments are easily broken. Sometimes they're given without any intention of being kept. Uh, even even in promises made in marriage before God are broken. Uh, sometimes with, with the best of intentions, we fail to keep our commitments and our promises. But aren't you glad God cannot fail? What God has promised, He will do. Uh, writer of Hebrews Reminds us, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. We can depend on God. And even with our circumstances, we might be tempted to think, well, is God really in control? Does he really see me and know me? Is yes. The writer of Hebrews says, hold fast the confession of your hope. This this dependence, not, not a maybe kind of hope so kind of hope, but a, a steadfast and sure hope in the promises of God. He says, for he who promised is faithful. Also in Philippians 1 verse 6, Paul had this confidence. He says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is the confidence that we have because of Him who promised. It's not a confidence because of us and how well we can do and and, and you know we think, well, you know, I feel like I'm okay today. <laughs> I've had a good day. I feel you know, like I have hope for the future. And then the next day, oh, it's been a terrible day. Everything's gone wrong. I'm really not sure. Their emotions will go up and down like that, won't they? We'll have good days and bad days, but our hope, our confidence is not built upon how we're feeling. <laughs> Thankfully, it's based upon the sure promise of God and the, and the faithful uh, God that we serve. And we have the presence of the Holy Spirit who is an abiding reminder of God's work in us. And that what he began, he will complete. And so Paul says that he is a earnest or a down payment of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. There in verse 14. And that phrase there, until we acquire possession of it, is... Uh, is also has 
two, two possible translations. Uh, and you'll see, uh, you'll see this also where it's translated until God redeems his possession. And so there's both possibilities here where we are acquiring possession of our inheritance or that we're the inheritance that God is uh, uh, receiving, that he is redeemed. And both truths, again, are biblically true and correct. Um, we are God's possession. It's the same, same thing we, we looked at earlier in, in verse, remember verse 11. We belong to him. And uh, we have been bought with the price. And so we, he will complete the final reality of our redemption by taking us into himself his very own possession. So that very well could be what Paul is, is thinking here. But again, most, most interpreters and translators see it as, again, referring to, um, to what we receive in Christ. We are going to take acquire possession of our inheritance is the emphasis that most believe that he's making here in this in this passage and so the promise um, that God has made has been guaranteed by the by the spirit of God and when we get to heaven uh, we're going to enter into this full uh, redemption we're going to enter into this inheritance that has been promised to us and the Spirit of God is with us all along the way to give us confidence, to assure us that God is with us and that He has planned for us, He has secured it for us, and He will finish what He started. Uh, and 2 Corinthians Yeah, there it is. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 21 and 22. And it is God who establishes us with you. You see, Paul is doing the same thing here as he writes to the Corinthians. He's, he's combining the, the, the us and you together. And he's saying, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us who has also put His seal on us and giving us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Different wording, but He's saying the same thing. Then, that, the, that we are established in Christ together. We've been anointed. The, the Spirit of God has, has been uh, sent to abide on us. And He is he's like a seal that's given to us in our hearts as a guarantee. Same, same truths that he's, he's speaking of there. Well, our inheritance, we've seen here in these verses, he's, he said it, he's talked about our provision, the plan and the promise of our inheritance. And all of this, again, is for the ultimate purpose that God has for His glory. He ends in verse 14, to the praise of His glory. Obviously, these are things for us, the things that we receive 
that's not the primary purpose of God. The primary purposes of God is that all that He's done for us and in us and will finish in us is to the praise of His glory. The praise of His glory. And that is, and that is what we should be focusing on as we live our lives. The praise of His glory. I want to close this morning by reading to you from Spurgeon's uh, notes his, his morning and evening uh, writings that he has. And, and on this passage, he writes, All the glorious consequences of his obedience unto death are the joint riches of all who are in him, and on whose behalf he accomplished the divine will. See, he enters into glory. Now, this he, he's talking about Christ. See, he enters into glory, but not for himself alone, for it is written when Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Does he stand in the presence of God? He appears in the presence of God for us. Consider this, believer. You have no right to heaven in yourself. Your right lies in Christ. If you are pardoned, it is through His blood. If you are justified, it is through His righteousness. If you are sanctified, it is because He is made of God unto your sanctification. If you shall be kept from failing, it will be because you are preserved in Christ Jesus. And if you are perfected at the last, it will be because you are complete in Him. Thus Jesus is magnified, for all is in Him and by Him. Thus the inheritance is made certain to us, for it is obtained in Him. Thus each blessing is the sweeter, and even heaven itself is brighter, because Jesus, our beloved, in whom we have obtained it all. Where is the man who shall estimate our divine portion? Weigh the riches of Christ in scales and His treasure in balances. And then think to count the treasures which belong to the saints. Reach to the bottom of Christ's sea of joy and then hope to understand the bliss which God has prepared for them that love Him. Overleap the boundaries of Christ's possessions and then dream of a limit to the fair inheritance of the elect. All things are yours, for you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for these truths that you've uh, given to us, scriptures that we can have confidence in what you have planned for us. And Father, as we think about the inheritance that you have for us in Christ, and that which was provided for us through the death of Christ. And because He is risen, we too will rise to be with Him. Because He has entered into glory, we too shall enter into glory with Him for eternity. Father, we really can't fathom all that You have planned for us. And what You have revealed, though, is sufficient to calls us to have a steadfast hope, which is certain because 
You are the one who has promised. We thank you, Lord, for the spirit of God that's that's been given, who is with us, who encourages us and admonishes us and, and helps us as we struggle oftentimes through this life. We're prone to fail and prone to doubt and to worry and all the things that are common to our the reality of our humanity. Lord, we thank you that you are with us. You've given us your word uh, that gives us the foundational uh, stability, the anchor of the soul. We praise you for all these things, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen.